This is A Fresh Agenda. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity and generate your deepest work. Here is your host, Christina Mendonza. This is A Fresh Agenda, where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonza. Welcome to this tiny spot in the podcast universe. Glad to have you here for a while. This podcast is about having some deeper and more positive conversations on topics of creativity and motivation to explore how people create or build their businesses or innovate in their industries. This is episode number 83, and today we're going to chat with design icon Betsy Johnson. She has a memoir out, which is a fascinating look at her life and her decades of designs. Uh, She's been on RuPaul's Drag Race recently. They did a big theme show with Betsy Johnson. She was on uh, Dancing with the Stars. Uh, She's 77 years old, and she is still inspiring a staff of designers. She just made the move to the West Coast. Like, as I was talking to her, she was getting ready to unpack her bags and her boxes in Malibu. Uh, She's been a New Yorker most of her life. She is a kick, though. Um, And if you've seen her lately or have seen her, you know, throughout her career, you can guess how the conversation is going to go. It is as freewheeling as her designs and her hairstyles. We also have a bonus interview, also about fashion. Nicole DeRocco is a designer out of Southern California. She designs swimsuits. Nicolita is her brand. She also consults other inspiring fashion designers, and she has her own podcast. And her company started recently making masks, as many companies are doing these days. But it is what she saw happening in the fashion district of Southern California that caught my attention. She's going to talk about that uh, because that area of the country had been kind of, well, declining a little bit because it's just cheaper to make things overseas. But there has been a resurgence in that area that is giving hope to manufacturing. She also is going to talk about how she helps creatives launch their own fashion brands. She says this is the time right now to start laying the groundwork if that's something that you want to do. So we'll have both of those interviews for you. For now, though, we are all still kind of in the thick of this coronavirus pandemic. The stay-at-home order right now is in full effect, but people are seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. We are seeing that pretty soon, this surreal Stephen King novel that we're all stuck in will have a final chapter. What we're left with after that is going to take creativity and innovation and inspiration So we can pull together because digging out of this economic hole is going to take some time. We already know that. We already see the economy declining and the jobless rate uh, going up. Some of those businesses that are digging out are some of my clients. And I am spending a lot of time lately thinking about those businesses and what creative ideas I can bring to the table to help them regain their footing when this virus fades. Working on a campaign, in fact, right now for uh, a pretty large local business uh, to try to help them when this virus fades to get back on track and to get back in touch with their customers. Uh, It's such a a satisfying part of my work. Uh, Look forward to helping them through my creative content marketing work with Mendonca Media. So before we get to Betsy Johnson and to Nicole, I want to tell you about our sponsor, MyCECourse.com. It is a multimedia education option for state compliance, professional growth, and engagement. The courses are deep dives into specialized subjects while meeting all curriculum and legal requirements. Our custom LMS platform allows certification with the nation's most respected HR, legal, and state insurance agencies. With a team of attorneys, insurance professionals, and award-winning broadcast personalities, 
we make continuing education both informative and interesting with relatable, reliable, and targeted storytelling. So we just finished an educational documentary on sex trafficking that is being used to train hotel workers and and other kinds of uh, residential staff workers. That's been picked up by several trade groups. And our documentary on sexual harassment was just endorsed by the California Dental Board. It's education that is relevant and compliant. Tell your HR manager about us when you get back to work, mycecourse.com. My first guest is Nicole Dorocco. She is the host of a podcast called Fast Track Your Fashion Brand. She is also a fashion designer herself, and she owns a swimwear line called Nicolita, and she does this out of Southern California. I was introduced to her through a mutual friend because of something that she posted on her Instagram story. What I found even more interesting about her was not only her reflections on what's happening in the fashion world, but also how she is helping fashion designers launch their own brand. And she said right now during the pandemic is actually a key time for entrepreneurs who who want to design and who want to launch their own brand. So enjoy my interview here with Nicole DeRocco. You had a very interesting Instagram post about things that are happening in the fashion industry. Yeah. I mean, the like the first week that everything happened, it was, it was a little like, you know, the uncertainty kind of rolled in, um, from a standpoint, uh, I'm a swimwear designer. So the orders were kind of stopping, um, my buyers that had purchased, like I do a lot of private label and uniforms. They were just like, we're not sure if we want a delivery now. So like all this uncertainty started to happen. And then the need for masks really arose. And I wasn't, my intention from the beginning wasn't never to be like, Oh my God, I'm going to make masks right now. Like I saw other brands and other designers starting to make masks. And I was just like, would me making masks really make a difference? I think we all kind of question ourselves, like, will my product really, really, really make a difference? And then within a week, I just started getting uh, requests since I do help fashionpreneurs actually launch their line. And I have resources for that. I just started getting requests from people who wanted to make these masks. So that's kind of when it all started. The like the quest to make the mask for me (laughs) was about a week into the the lockdown. And now what are you noticing? I mean, you mentioned something about a cutting room. I don't think people are familiar with what that is. If you could tell us kind of what is, how, how are things rolled out? And um, the fact that you saw so many brands and they're doing it, explain that. At the beginning, when you do make a sample, there's a couple different, you know, factors involved. You need your fabric, you need cutting, and you need sewing. So when you start to do a sample, when I was doing this for a, cu- a couple of different people um, from other brands, and then, you know, once they're taken care of, I just realized, one, there was a really big shortage of material available. Two, um, a lot of the other Notion stuff, like elastic, all of a sudden was being depleted within a lot of these different vendors of ours. But what I did have, so as soon as I knew that I couldn't go and really source anything, people were closed, the fabric you know, locations, they closed down and we, I couldn't, I had to put my orders in that Friday before it really started to kind of take into effect. And because of that, I was, I had fabric available. So I went to my cutter to go and in the cutting location, it's where we do mass production cutting services. Um, I went there to go see what type of fabric I had in stock in order to fulfill at least this beginning order and like the sampling and when I walked in there, I was just blown away because 
the garment district in general had been kind of struggling this last year. I mean, you kind of get a sense from the cutting production when you walk into a cutting facility and you don't see a lot of movement happening. And, you know, and I'm trying to get my orders in on time in order to start the whole process. And you just kind of feel like it was a little bit stagnant. But when I went in there just a few weeks ago, it was hustling. Like there were all the tables were spread. If you go into it, imagine like a 5,000 foot facility and it's just rows and rows of tables. All these tables had fabric being piled up to get cut. And when you see that, that's not very common. And especially when everything is on lockdown, you're like, wait, what is going on? So it was, it was exciting to see what was happening, especially with masks. And if I walk by the tables, I can see what patterns are being cut. So I can look, it says mask. And I, I couldn't read what, what brand it was, but you could tell it's just different companies. So that was like the initial, I want to say this is like the first week into the lockdown where really the call for manufacturing um, said, hey, open your doors. We got to get these products out. It was kind of like this essential item that was in the news. There's not enough mass. There's not enough mass. So the fashion industry really rose to the occasion. And I saw it firsthand when I was at the beginning of starting my mass production. What, what I love about what you're seeing now is that not only are the masks, you know, necessary and needed and useful, but they're beautiful. <laughs> right? I know. It definitely is becoming a fashion accessory. Um, if you like it or not, we started off with black masks and I had extra material that I wasn't going to run Swimmer production, swimmer production with that were like really bold, beautiful prints. And I just kind of threw them up on the website. So this is kind of interesting. So I, whenever I teach someone how to launch their line, I always tell them, do not invest in inventory. You want to just start with that one sample. And I kind of followed my own you know, advice. I made one sample. This is a little bit different from the styles that these other brands were coming to me for to produce for them. I just saw, you know, some little tweaks I can make. I'm a mom. It was really important for me to get this right so my daughter would wear it. My son's too. He'll, he just throws it off, so he's not there yet. But my daughter's six, and, and she needed to understand the importance of wearing this, and I needed to make it functional, easy for her to put on, and, um, and for adults too. So all of those little things, like listening to what um, my needs were, her needs were, really went into the development of the samples. And I always teach my fashionpreneurs, like you make one sample and that's what I did. I made one, I had a photo on my website and I had a bunch of different colors of prints that I just took photos with, with my iPhone, put it up there and then made product SKUs. And with a couple posts of Instagram, my husband sharing it on Facebook within that first night, I think we received 50 orders from friends and family. Actually, it started off with text messages. Hey, I'm making these what do you guys think? And I need one. I need one. And it was at that point that I thought, you know, I had ordered masks in February from Amazon that had just arrived, you know, just like the cloth ones that I thought, okay, I need to order those. It took about a month and a half for them to arrive from Amazon. And I, I, I was under the impression that everyone kind of had masks, that I was kind of late to the game in this mask, you know, selling masks. But it really opened my eyes to, no, there's still such a huge need for masks, um, investing in inventory upfront isn't essential because that's usually a barrier that a lot of fashionpreneurs and people that have an idea for a product kind of get stuck at. They like, I don't have the money to invest. Well, I was everything was pre-ordered, so I was able to fund the initial purchases, the labor, 
um, the cutting, all of those things. And now I just left the factory yesterday for my Instagram story and I gave them an order for 2000 pieces that now I feel secure in booking the inventory because it's a daily, like constantly I'm getting orders on the site for these masks. And more and more uh, communities are doing the mandatory mask thing that is now going yes. on in LA. Yes, that is, um, you know, and, and now I'm getting people, where's my mask? And I'm like, okay, I'm not Amazon. <laughs> these are made to order, <laughs> but uh, we are stocking more inventory. And yeah, it's, you know, when we, when we go out around, um, even if I ride the bike in our neighborhood, I, I wear the mask and have my daughter wear the mask just because we are crossing people and, and I see why there is a need. And I think because we're putting these things in place now with the masks, you know, the transmission of just walking by someone, you know, that could very well be a real reality for even us in Orange County, California. So, um, yeah, so the need has grown. My neighbors, my um, family, and now friends of friends and friends of family are now ordering their masks through us. And it's, it's, it is really exciting to see the demand that's growing and the fact that I'm able to play my part in this big, you know, big world, but to help people get a mask because it is so important. Right. And I think I'm, I'm so inspired too, by just the, um, I mean, the thought of walking into that huge cutting room and seeing everyone working again. I mean, this, when we thought most production was taking part overseas, that is very inspirational in light of how you said the garment district has been declining in recent years. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not like a, a secret, but when you, if you wanted to make something overseas, you probably go to Alibaba and the prices are very exciting because you're like, wow, I can actually profit from it because it gets so competitive. And I remember when I started my swimmer line, um, I was making it here in California and I was dealing with Nordstrom's um, and they said, okay, you know, the first year we understand your pricing or where, where they're at, but we need a bigger discount. And I'm like, how am I supposed to make money if the big department stores are asking me for such aggressive discounting. And it just felt like, okay, I guess I can't really make it here. And it put me in a position where I actually traveled to China three times, found factories, created relationships over there, and obviously found my own challenges by manufacturing overseas. But, you know, when the costs are so low, I'm, I don't blame anyone for wanting to increase their margin and, you know, the, the easeability. Cutting and sewing here, it's a more complex game. You need to understand the whole process as a whole. When you go with overseas, you just say, hey, I want that in black, and then they have to figure it out, and then they give you a price. So, yes, seeing manufacturing coming back here, realizing I'm calling, like, five different other um, factories that I've worked with. My my network is the way that I'm able to make this happen because now everyone's making masks. So where some of these factories would normally be, like, vying for any type of order they're actually saying, hey, Nicole, we don't even have space to put your order in. I will put you in in a few weeks or I could book you here. And you kind of play this game of, all right, I will deliver those cuts from the cutting room to you on this date. Can you, can you make sure that you can secure me a spot on the production floor? So they're moving from summer production to 100% mass. And you normally don't see that. You normally don't go into a factory and only see one product being made. They're they're working with multiple different types of t-shirts, pants, swim, like all over the board. But this is just like a whole new wave of realizing 
the mask production need to be kept here because we can get them out more efficiently, more effectively to people instead of waiting for, you know, overseas. So it's, you know, it's still a low priced cost to manufacture labor materials is always one of the highest parts of the whole like clothing production. And to be able to have a product that doesn't require as much labor as, let's say, a swimsuit, um, you are able to make those margins work to keep it at a price that's affordable and that there's still margins left for the designers and the, and the fashion brands to profit. Because that's, that's what we need to make sure we don't forget about the profit or else we can't, we can't even survive ourselves, you know? So it's, it's at a nice position right now where this type of product works here doing it in the United States. Uh, I'm going to be talking on my podcast to uh, Betsy Johnson here pretty soon. And, um, you know, which is <laughs> iconic. Obviously, she's had decades in the fashion industry. How do you think things are different for today's entrepreneur that wants to launch a fashion line? Let's talk about when all of this pandemic stuff is over um, and someone who has an idea. You help people do this with your podcast and, and with consultation. How difficult it is is it to launch a fashion line um, in in this country? You know, I think we, we I usually go back to the principles of what I teach. And it's really understanding why are you wanting to launch this product and how is that launch that product going to actually solve somebody's problems? Like, is it the solution for like my product for somewhere not digging into your hips? Are you creating a solution? The the need over want in the fashion district, I think our fashion industry is really going to change. Do I need it or do I want it? And I like to gear people of I want your customers to need it. I want them to be able to solve something that they're dealing with right now. Maybe it's sun protection. Maybe it's baggy boobs. I don't know. Like whatever it is that women and men and children need, I want them to be focused more on that. So I really go through this five-step process of, you know, identifying the messaging, um, building out all of the things to jumpstart the idea before investing the time and the money into inventory that does not sell. And that's where a lot of challenges get faced with people who have an idea. They think the very first step I need to do is make the sample and then make the production because I need inventory to sell to people. And I want to say that's so backwards. I want us to develop a product before that is needed by people and that you have the right messaging to tell people why you're doing it, what you stand for, and how it's going to help them and help the community. So I take a different approach to this. And I think with what's going on right now, um, this is a great time to start the whole process to discovering, you know, why is your product going to be needed? You can do a lot of sourcing right now. You could use this time effectively without having to say, oh my God, I'm like launching a product and I don't, I, you know, the money's not there. You could do this very low cost now with the right steps to when you, like how I did, I put it on my website and I pre, I pre-booked these orders. If I would have gone in and with the cutting ticket of 2000 ahead of time, I probably would have been left with a lot of unknown factors of what colors, what style, if the style is even working before I made a huge costly mistake. So I really try to help people avoid that. And I think, you know, if it's a dream of yours to launch a product, follow your dream right now. Do something that's going to make you happy because the passion is what's going to help you wake up every day and be ignited to, you know, be in the circumstance that we are 
and be focused towards a goal that's moving you forward. That is a fantastic message. Okay, Nicole, let's um, tell people how they can uh, find your content and reach out to you directly. Go over to iTunes, look up Fast Track, your fashion brand podcast. You can find me there. We have about 29 episodes, a couple current to the current situation about doing a virtual fashion business, like how that whole thing looks, how I'm running my business. You can find me over on IG, um, Instagram at Nicole underscore D-I underscore Rocco. And send me a DM. Let me know what you thought about this interview. I'd love to connect with your listeners. Fun to talk to Nicole DeRocco. You can reach her at her Instagram account or through her website. I'll put those in the show comments as well. Now, the word icon is used very freely these days. But when it comes to fashion, this woman fits that description perfectly. For over 50 years, she has dressed rock and roll royalty and the everyday woman with an eye for bolder patterns, brighter colors. You know her designs when you see them. How often does a simple glance tell you exactly what artist is behind a dress or a bag? And when I say glance, I mean from a distance. You know a Betsy Johnson design when you see one. Those bold prints, those beautiful florals. As her fans and customers have aged, she's also branched out into the world of housewares and linens and luggage, bringing her distinctive patterns and inspiration to not only what we wear, but what we use throughout our days. Her new book is Betsy, a Memoir, and although I have very little experience on the topic of fashion, her creativity and business acumen were so inspiring to read about. I got through the book. It's, a, it's an easy read. You can get through it in a few sittings. Uh, she says she was just lucky to be in the right place at the right time, but you can see how she leveraged her childhood skills, her relationships, and then just the hard work and laser focus she had as an artist to rise higher and faster than even she expected. The book is also a pop culture history spanning from her marriage to a member of the Velvet Underground to all the punk rock stars that she dressed and the contemporary actors and actresses that still go into her stores, pay retail, pick up the designs as any one of us would by going into the store. Betsy Johnson is my guest today and she came on the line as she was preparing to unpack in her new Malibu home and doing what all of us are doing these days, working from home. My neighbor, I'm in Malibu, and I must say, I don't know where Sacramento is, but I know we're in California, yeah, right? just north of you. <laughs> just north of you. So, Betsy, tell me, how are you getting along in this crazy coronavirus time? Well, as long as I can keep talking about my book and enjoy the response to it and be proud of myself for having a book, um, it's keeping me going. And I'm just moved into a new house, so unpacking for the next two weeks will keep me occupied. And then I'm going to hit the what? What? Oh, sorry. No, 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 not talk. But just tell her I need her to hit the grocery store. <laughs> I'm not driving out here. I used to have. I have a golf cart. I can drive to like five of my favorite restaurants and beaches. But you. Why you get? Where are you driving to? I mean, it's taken my right. brain right. a while to get it to sink in. Well, I have to tell you, I read the book over the weekend, tore through it. It was so interesting. Yes. I loved hearing exactly. about. Right. It's a quickie. It is. It definitely is. And I loved the combination of your creativity and your business acumen as you kind of came up. How many people can say they inspired both Andy Warhol and RuPaul? Wow, two sides of the coin. 
No, very much the same side of the coin. Um, I know. Um, I, I've been so lucky. I've had such a great life being in the right place at the right time, just doing what I needed to do. And, and among a group of very yin-yang, upside-down, backwards-forwards, full-speed-ahead people, you know, there's I, I, from my own little Connecticut upbringing, I just kind of, because of my work and I, the passion for me wanting to make clothes that my friends wore, and my friends at that time were Blondie, mm-hmm. <laughs> and who did I dress? There was a famous hairdresser, um, but Twiggy and, you know, uh, Julie Christie, and I mean, it, it's just been such an exciting time for me. You've had so um, much. My work held everything together, and I, the book let me talk about all the other sides of the story, mm-hmm. where everybody thinks, probably everybody feels, oh, I knew I was going to be famous at 15. I didn't have a clue. I'm most boggled by my book right now, which makes me feel, wow, I, I, really, I, I really did something there. <laughs> I didn't know what at the time, and I really didn't until... I'm holding my book. My dog has chewed up three books so far. But, um, yeah, this this is a huge deal for me. I never, ever... What was the easiest or what, what was the most fun part of your life to, to write about? What did you really enjoy writing about? Um, boy, that's a new question and a good one. I liked each part. For what it was, I liked how I got started. I liked the husband's part. I liked, I even liked the cancer open heart surgery part. Um, what other parts? I liked the single mom part. I really liked, I, I like a lot of parts because they're very different from each other. And I, I think lots of people can relate to all those lots of parts. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I got my pictures in, a few scribbles going on. My favorite was the picture of you and your daughter, um, Lulu, the, when she was a baby, and you're holding her, yes. and she has this like joyous look on her face, and you yeah, do too. Mouth, happy, smiling. Yeah, that was when was she born, 75. And yeah, so I, I really enjoyed trying to remember all these different time zones, and and when it got pieced together, I would tape for Mark either out here, I'd bring him out here, or I'd be in New York, and I would talk, 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 and then he would go home and try and put it together as a book, mm-hmm. writing it all down, and um, I, I, I never thought it would work. I have no confidence in writing or having a book or... I'm just as afraid of the book as I've been afraid for years of my clothing and what if it didn't sell. Right. I mean, I without the fashion school education, which I think would have been a big waste for me because I already knew how to cut and sew like crazy. Um, um, 
I don't know. I finally feel wow. I'm 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 impressed by myself. You know, I'm reading Something a book. I never really felt before. I'm reading a book on creativity right now and how creative people. Um, Excel. And it talks about how a lot of creative people create a model in their mind, a 3D model of what something looks like. I, I totally, I saw a movie about that once. I totally have to see it, see it real life going down the runway or see it in real life before I can make it. And it's weird. I just noticed that about 10 years ago that as long as I could see it ahead of time, I could do it and make my dream come true. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And also, I think one a very important part is you have to put your blinders on and you have to protect yourself from all the stuff that's going on. Because you, you have to stay kind of focused <laughs> and you, you have to, like, just make a lot of stuff go away. And I always worked very quietly by myself in my loft or my little workroom. And I, I, I also think that creative people are mostly terrified and scared most of the time because they are only as good as the sales of their last dress, their last book, their last whatever you never, I mean, I heard even Ralph Lauren doesn't sit back in his rocking chair. And, you know, he's got his whole family behind his business. You never can stop. You can't get off that train. You know what? And luckily, I enjoyed the train ride, every single bit of it. What's interesting? But my work was the main train. Right, right. If, uh, what I, was... if I didn't have that, who knows? What I found interesting is that you always had the customer in mind. I feel like when I watch like Paris fashion shows that the designer is designing for what they what their vision is, what they want people to wear, and you always had an eye of what um yes, I'm designing for what I want to see, but you always had a a mind of will the customer buy it? Will a woman want to wear this? And it started with um will I want to wear it? Because I, I thought that was the simplest way to go, make something I like and just pray <laughs> there's another girl out there that might like it too. And I discovered um, at prom time, graduation time, wedding bridesmaids time, that was my like, whoa, what? that really kicked in an identity for me where... I'm the little tutu girl or the petticoat girl or at least something. You could get an idea that I made clothes that you party on down in, you have a good time in, you feel comfortable in, you get looked at in. Um, But I found there were lots more girls like me. And, And the other designers, I mean, they were expressing themselves, but they weren't allowing a lot of people to feel it and express it themselves because it was too couture or too expensive or out of their reach somehow with their life. And I I was just like the girlfriend kind of designer making stuff for me and my customer. And we were the same age when we started. I mean, my daughter was stayed on with me five years after she graduated high school and 
I was in age my well I was 33 so I I always was my customer mm-hmm. and then I just kind of stopped aging at 33 which is I, I think a good idea <laughs> I think that that is a good idea tell me and about I've stuck your to my guns I've stuck to my look mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything else but my look and I had to live through those horrible periods of the working woman's wardrobe and where I just thought, oh, my God, I'm going down the tubes. I don't relate to any of this. I'll keep on going, praying that there's more friends out there that get it and want it as much as me. And that happened. I mean, I turned from being the far out, whoa, downtown kid to being pretty Mainstay. I mean, I'll never, when I did my Butterick home sewing patterns that were huge for Butterick, which was a, um, a, a sister company to Vogue mm-hmm. patterns, I had, and it was just amazing how many girls could relate. But it was easy to relate to. The best part was home, with home sewing is they would use my patterns, but then they would go pick out their own fabrics to make this stuff in. So I'd see girls walking down the street and I'd go, geez, that looks so familiar. That looks so familiar. (laughs) And sure enough, it was my pattern that they had made. That was 70s, very home home on the range, you know, home sewing. And then I just went with the flow of what was going on with rock and roll and then with punk and then with by the fireplace. And who then were with, some of your favorite people to work with, like favorite celebrities that wore your fashions that, that you really oh, kind of developed know, the, a friendship the with? The interesting thing is all those, so that I never worked on custom stuff. I just didn't have a workroom cut out for customs, custom. I didn't have the time to do custom. Everybody that's, that has been in a movie wearing my stuff or done anything in my stuff, simply went to the stores and bought it at full price. Wow. You know, it's amazing. We would get calls from different store managers all over the place. The big one was Johnny Depp. He went in, I went into my New York store and the sales girls would report to us every time a movie star or somebody, you know, Major would buy something. Johnny Depp went in and spent $13,000 on clothes that he picked out right off the rack for his then wife, Vanessa, the rock and roll star, English, whatever girl. And she loved my work. I did meet up with Johnny and his whole family, and we had hamburgers together <laughs> in some joint. <laughs> and, um, but there was never any romance or, uh, you know, it, it just happened very naturally. I remember going to see, what was that movie? Easy Rider, the cult movie mm-hmm. with young Jack Nicholson and, oh God, the scary guy, I never can remember his name, Peter Fonda. And those girls showing up in New Orleans, Karen Black and the other girl, they were wearing my clothes. And I'm like, oh, my God, Karen's wearing my silver fish dress. I had no idea how that happened. The same when Daryl Hannah was ice skating around in a little rosebud ballerina dress of mine. I'm in the movie theater, and I'm like, what's my dress? 
<laughs> that to be a thrill. So, funny. so, so what? like, so like, um, natural. Yeah. You know, never um, games and, you know, I'll give it to you wholesale. But, I mean, the girls just knew me from shopping my stores. Yeah. Especially out in L.A., I mean, I'd be terrified to go over to Cameron Diaz and say, Hi, I'm Betsy, and I love you and what you do. And she'd be like, Betsy, I've been wearing your clothes for years. I love you. I mean, it's just been such a natural happening. Mm-hmm. So what? Um, tell and me what you're continue. up to now. I know that you've just moved, so you're moving into a new place. You're going to be unpacking. Are you still drawing all the time, conceptualizing, talking to your daughter yep. about new designs and ideas? I'm what do you do? Well, Lulu doesn't really love. She never really found her niche in the fashion business. She was a, she was the girl who knew what to wear, and she was always. Mom, take this off of it. Take that off. Tone it down. <laughs> like, I'm like a crazy one. She was a very conservative, but perfect, perfect customer of mine. And, yeah, the strap was better plain than covered with funny flowers, you know. Um, what, what was I talking about? Oh, what, I, you, what you're doing yeah. these days besides oh. unpacking. So, unpacking... Um, I like to keep thinking design and thinking of my pocketbook people and my bedding and my suitcase people because I feed them ideas. But my new job the last year or so has been to be the creative inspiration because most of these companies and my design teams, they know what they got to do. They got the brand down. They got the look down. But they like the tidbits of my funny inspiration, no matter where it comes from. So I like to keep my brain and my spirit active with, you know, just little packages I send them of funny stuff or texting them ideas. And what inspires you? The Blue Door in Santa Barbara really inspires me. It's my favorite store in California. And... So I go vintaging and thrift shopping a lot. Betsy, I want to thank you so much for your time. Betsy, a memoir. It's a great book, and I really appreciate you spending time. Have fun unpacking, and um, I know we all look for life to return to normal after this coronavirus finishes. Thank you again. Yes, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Betsy Johnson. Who else can say they've been an inspiration to both Andy Warhol and RuPaul? It's all in her book, Betsy, A Memoir. And thank you for being here. Don't forget, for your mandatory training needs, check out mycecourse.com. It is already the training company of preference for many government agencies and companies. Tell your HR director about mycecourse.com. I've uploaded a new show, by the way, that I'm co-producing called Frontline Perspectives. This is a video project. It's a macro look at the pandemic through the eyes of reporters and storytellers from around the country and around the world. It was an idea spawned uh, by a conversation between myself and Will Frampton. He owns McLeod Media out of Boston. He does production work out there. 
and we decided to, uh, I don't know, see how many of our reporter friends we could get together from around the world to give us their thoughts and perspectives, uh, thus the name, on the pandemic. So that's what we're doing these days. We're uploading one a week. It's about 15 to 20 minutes, a macro look at how uh, various places are handling the coronavirus, like Boston, Las Vegas, Portugal, New Zealand. Uh, Those are just the few of the places we've explored. New Orleans, Atlanta. So don't miss that. And don't miss the KFBK Morning News, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Sam Shane, he's my co-anchor. We're just a couple of journalists with about six decades of news experience between us talking about the news with you every day. It is a very different news program, perspective, depth, analysis, and fun. And if you're in Sacramento, it's at 93.1 FM or 1530 AM, or you can get us anywhere in the world on the iHeartRadio app under KFBK. And please reach out anytime on any of my platforms. You can also reach out through my website, MendonzaMedia.com. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Christina Mendonca. This has been a fresh agenda. Let's stay connected. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity. This is a fresh agenda. (laughs) 